Living Sport Podcast. It's Alicia here. I'm so excited about our next podcast release. We've taken you on some travels around the world during the last few weeks, as we heard from our Living Sport connections in Greece and then in Thailand. This week, we're gonna come home to the States and take you to visit Northern California to meet up with the Hedges brothers. Max and Zach Hedges are currently a dynamic duo when it comes to young sport professionals. They are currently digging in and making sure they make their mark in the industry. How do they do that? Simple, by performing and giving their all each and every day. Max and Zach have different takes on the industry. Max works as the coordinator of SBL and ticket finance for the San Francisco 49ers, and Zach is an inside sales consultant for the San Jose Sharks. When you listen to this podcast, take notes from these guys. I've always been impressed by their well-rounded business knowledge and eagerness to learn. Now, as young professionals in the industry, the confidence and passion that they both exude when they talk about what they do is both exciting and contagious. This podcast is filled with tips for future interviews, advice on decision-making, and how you can go from being unemployed to being flown to the Super Bowl for work in just seven months. Let's tune in as Max and Zach provide you a look into the life of a young sport professional in the Bay Area. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living Sport Podcast and follow us on social at I Am Living Sport. Podcast listeners, welcome to another great episode of Living Sport Podcast. It's a family affair today with the Hedges brothers, Max and Zach, joining us from the West Coast, California. What is up, guys? Hey, Alicia. Alicia. Very happy to be here. Thanks for joining us, guys. So I'm going to dive right in. It's hard enough for one person to succeed in the sport industry but to have two brothers that have started their sport career working in professional sports is incredible. You both are all-stars and are those full package type of people. And quite honestly, I'm not surprised whatsoever about the initial success that you found pretty soon after graduation. So first off, congratulations to you both. And I can't wait to tell the listeners more about you guys. I'm going to put this out here. Living sport loves twins. Okay. We have had multiple twins come on our trips over the years. And off the top of my mind, we have you guys, which were our first, Milan 17 and Milan 18. Larry Staub, shout out there, Dublin 18. He has a twin sister, Allison Hergy, London 18, a twin sister. And James Latiri, Glasgow 19, has a brother. And you guys might like this twin fact here. James, he's a great guy, great personality. I'm going to give him like 5'8", okay? And his twin brother, I think, is like 6'2", six six something like that. So, <laughs> so you, yeah, know, um, you know that, how the twin thing works. And yeah, so you guys are the only twins that have participated in the International Sport Business Program. And the only current siblings as well. So you guys hold that. So all the names that I named, they have twin brothers or sisters, but they didn't attend the trip. So both you guys get awards for that. <laughs> I'm sure that'll get broken in the near future. Well, well, well. Okay. <laughs> However, 
London 18 alum Dylan Hammond, which Max, you know, because he was the junior mentor on your Milan 18 trip. His sister Hannah is inquiring about attending a future program. So mm -hmm. we may right there have our second set of siblings. Here we go. The title is, uh, is in jeopardy. <laughs> yes, I know. And I put it out there. So no pressure, Hannah, if you're listening, but I said it to the universe. You're now on the Living Sport podcast. So I think she has to join us, right? Yeah, that's that's a requirement now. She's <laughs> she's hooked. Let's start off with a brief introduction. Let's jump in so listeners could get to know a little bit about your background. So who wants to go first, Zach or Max? Let's see, who's the older sibling? That would be me. Ooh, okay. I'll, I'll take those honors and I will start. Zach and I are from Santa Rosa, California. It's about an hour north of San Francisco. I attended Santa Clara University and I was a finance major there. Zach and I both live together in San Jose at the moment, and I am currently working as the finance coordinator of ticketing and seat licensing for the San Francisco 49ers. Kind of a mouthful of a title. Very good. Zach, what's up with you? Yep. So Max hit the hometown in Santa Rosa, but I graduated from UC Santa Barbara back in June of 2019 with a degree in economics and accounting, also a certificate in sport management. And I am currently working about 10 months into my first full-time job with the San Jose Sharks. I'm in their inside sales department. And you guys got hired around the same time. Isn't that right? Max, when did you start with the Niners? So I started in August of last year. And Zach and I started around the same time, but he secured his position well before I did. So I think he signed his offer letter while still in school. and my hiring happened very quickly and I went from interviewing to signing a letter within about a week and then starting about a week after that. So it all happened in July and August of last year. Two really good scenarios right there. And that goes without saying like, that is why you guys are all stars. That's why I said that in the intro. First of all, Zach, to have a job offer, not even graduating yet and to sign papers and to know where you're going to go that is like a dream come true in the sport industry many many people would love that and, and max just to go so quick through the process one day you're out there job searching spending all your time looking for your first full-time job and then a week and a half later two weeks you're in the office yeah i def i had that lull between graduation where you know i i finished school and didn't have position lined up and it's stressful but I would just tell everybody, keep grinding because it will work out. And, you know, as you keep interviewing and sending applications, you get so much better at that process. And that showed a lot for me. And that's why I think I was able to get through the interview process and the hiring stages so quickly once I did find the right role. I think that time is almost a must, right? Zach, your situation is the dream situation. But for everybody else, we have to do the math here. Sport management schools across our nation is over 400 plus. That means all of those classes graduating with this degree. And then there's people just like yourself, right? Not specifically sport management degree graduates looking to get into sport as well. So if you want to get into this industry, you have to be patient. And that space from graduation until that full-time job, sometimes it's longer for others but it's almost a necessity. So it's kind of like, okay, what am I going to do during that time? Are there places I could volunteer? How am I going to refine my job search, et cetera? Okay, so let's go into your current role to help paint the picture for the listeners. What are your main job responsibilities? We'll go with Max. 
So to preface, there are two things you kind of need to know to understand what I do for the team. First off, that Levi Stadium is a seat licensed stadium. So in order to own season tickets, you have to purchase a license that gives you the rights to buy a specific seat or season tickets for a specific seat in the stadium. I think over half the NFL operates that way. Now it's pretty common for new stadiums to finance the building of it that way. The second thing you need to know is that ticketing in the NFL is now done all mobily. So we're not handling card stock and giving physical tickets to people. When I'm talking about tickets, we're sending them a digital version that they're opening in an app or an email. So a big part of my job as the finance coordinator is reporting and helping track revenue on seat sales and on seat license sales. And with those seat licenses, they're usually financed over a longer period of time. So there's a lot of financial work that goes into looking at like the loan schedules and when is the revenue going to come in for those payments, things like that, that I spend a lot of time on. And then there's also a ticket operations aspect to my job. So on game days, I'm wearing my ticket operations hat and I'm somebody that a ticketing issue might get escalated to. So we have part-time ticket takers that are at the gates scanning people in. And if they have an issue with a the ticket, they might bring it to one of our box office representatives. Those people have access to Arctics, which is our ticketing software, and they can look at the, the digital side of an account and try and diagnose the problem. And if they're not able to solve it, it might come to me. So I'm looking at the digital barcodes and the financial health of the account and trying to solve those problems for those people so we can get them in the game. Those are the, the main components of my job. So for example, what would be something, a specific example that is escalated to you? I'm trying to get in your stadium. My ticket isn't scanning. Somebody can't figure it out. Is it that sort of thing? Yeah. And a lot of the times we'll have like a season ticket member comes to the gate and it doesn't scan. They bring it to the box office representative. And when it gets to me, I look at the account and I realize, okay, they had a scheduled payment but their credit card declined last month. So they just weren't able to make it. And then we take care of it there at the desk. They pay for the tickets, the accounts paid in full and they're ready to go in. We also have a lot of issues with people transferring tickets. So you can buy a digital ticket. And since you don't have that card stock, you can't hand it to the person. We have a system where you can transfer. But if something goes wrong in that process, that's something that I can look at, diagnose and take care of. Interesting. So the transfer, does that occur through an app that you guys have? Yep. Yeah, we have a Levi Stadium app and almost all of our tickets are through Ticketmaster. So they have their own app. You can access a ticket through either one of those. And it's a fairly simple process to transfer, put in the person's phone number, email, send them the ticket. They accept it and now it's theirs to use. So if I was accepting a ticket, I would have to download your app and that's how I would get the ticket. And then game, For, okay, I would open up the app and show the ticket. Correct. And it's, it's definitely been a little bit of a problem moving people over from physical tickets to the digital side. There are some growing pains with adjusting you know, any system to being digital, but in the long run, we think it's going to be really beneficial. A question that pops up that you probably know how to handle is what happens for maybe the older population that doesn't have the smartphone? Yeah. So for those people, if they email ahead of time and say, hey, I don't have you know, a smartphone, I'm not going to be able to access it at the gate. We have systems set up in place. We do have the ability in rare cases to print a physical stock ticket for them. And it's even easier if they've let us know ahead of time. So there are all those systems in place to take care of the exceptions, but the vast majority of the tickets, we still really encourage people to access mobily. It's pretty cool. You're working in an era that like you're in between. We're going from the paper stock, transitioning over to the app and digital. So you're like 
on both sides here. You know, you're still trying to provide great customer service to those people that don't have an iPhone or a smartphone, but years ahead, that's going to be cut out completely because everybody's probably going to have the smartphone. Yeah, definitely. We're definitely in an in-between stage as far as using that technology. So we have to account and prepare and service both sides. And it's, it's an interesting challenge, but I think we're doing a pretty good job of, of handling it. Okay, great. Let's go over to you, Zach. Yeah, so whereas Max is on the ticket ops side of things, I'm much more on the, on the flip side of that, which is ticket sales. And so I'm a full menu consultant with the Sharks. And what that means is that I'm able to sell someone anything from our 44-game full season plan all the way to our partials down to our groups and our suites. So we have eight or nine various packages at any time that we have available to someone to help fit whatever their needs are coming to a Sharks game. And so I am outbound, facing. I'm calling prospects who our business intelligence team has provided to us that have shown interest in coming out to Sharks games. But it's not obviously as simple as just picking up the phone and saying, hey, Alicia, this is Zach with the Sharks. You want to buy tickets? No? Oh, okay, bye. It's much, much more relationship-based than that. So when I call someone for the first time, my first question to them is, hey, when did you first fall in love with the Sharks? And what is it that you love so much about hockey? And so I'm really trying to figure out what it is that makes them passionate about the sport. I'm also sharing about myself. So I'm letting them know, hey, like I grew up going to Warriors games and you know, falling in love with the sport of basketball. That's why I'm so passionate about what I do and really trying to open up with them and make a connection. And so the whole point of calling someone on the phone is to say, hey, clearly you are a big Sharks fan. I would love to get you out to the arena so that I can go over with you what we have to offer and see if there might be a fit for you guys. And so that's when the point of that phone call is to book what's an in face-to-face -face appointment. So we're either bringing them back out for a tour on an off day or even a game day where we're able to, to provide some, some comp tickets for them and then showing them the arena, showing them what we have to offer and really, really building upon that relationship and then hopefully getting them set up with something that's going to be a good fit for them. So on a given game night, I love it because it's, it's going to be different every single time. Ideally, you're going to have a couple pregame meetings. So I might be meeting with two different clients before the game where I'm bringing them into the arena, showing them around, sitting down at the table with them and, and pitching something, and then moving on to the next one. I might be working at a sales table for the first and second period of the game where I'm talking to people who are walking by, showing them what we have, and then maybe doing an, a, third, a second intermission meeting and making, you know, closing that loop with my final prospects and, and hopefully getting something done. So I've loved it so far, but those are the kind of the main, the main day-to-day uh, -day points. So when you say you schedule the meetings throughout, they're scheduled meetings, right? And they're throughout the game. So you've invited these people, say you have three different people, you've given them tickets to the game to get them out, and then you schedule times during that game to maybe go down to their seats and talk with them? Yeah. And so there's a couple of different ways that we do that. And so the pregame, I'm going to meet them outside, personally walk them in, and then we'll usually enter into the club level, swing around that way. If we have time, go down into the penalty box. And so we really get a chance to see all the different areas of the arena. But because there's only so much time, sometimes it's, hey, you already have tickets to this game. Hey, how about I come and sit down at your seats with you during the first intermission? And so that's a much briefer thing. That's a quick introduction kind of saying, hey, based on what you told me on the phone, I could see this as being a good fit for you, kind of a soft pitch, what do you think? And then, yeah, closing it up at the end, you know, maybe meeting with someone in the club level during intermission. So we're, we're definitely trying to, to get that face-to-face -face with people and, and, 
and it's a good chance for, you know, like string off three meetings in a night. It's, it's exciting to keep moving. So you said you sell full menu. You explained the list of types of tickets you sell. What other ways, tell the listeners, what other ways do other teams maybe sell that don't do the full menu style? So I would say that for 41 home regular season teams, that's going to be the NHL and the NBA. Just to make sure that I'm getting the question correct, you're saying if you don't have that full menu of packages, then what are the other routes that teams take, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in hockey or basketball, a lot, most teams are going to have those options because not everyone is a good fit for all 44 games. It's a lot. But when you look at like the MLB or the NFL, I know in the MLB, they've done things like, Hey, you can purchase 40 games for a hundred dollars. You're paying like $3 a ticket to sit up at the top in the NFL. It's usually going to be all or nothing because you're only getting those eight you know, regular season games. So based on the length of the schedule, that's going to kind of give you a roadmap as to how much flexibility you have in your ticket plans. And my, our philosophy is, is definitely everything is full seasons first, you know, trying to figure out whether that's, you know, sharing it with a friend or using it for business, trying to come up with a plan of how 44 games can work for anybody. But, but we have those, those fallbacks on the half seasons. We have an 11 game plan and even, you know, small things like groups and suites. So. You hit it exactly what I was getting at. In baseball, in minor league baseball, the salespeople weren't selling full menu. They weren't selling everything. They were more, hey, your season tickets, your groups, et cetera. But that limits you, right? So you are developing this connection with a potential fan or a potential buyer and they don't want what you're serving. So then you have to pass them along. But in your case, you are just basically developing a connection, listening to them, and then seeing where in the menu they fit and offering that. So you're providing them exactly what they want. You're not trying to force something on them just to get that sale. Yeah, that flexibility is huge. The other nice part about my role that not every team follows is that we keep, and inside sales, we keep any account that isn't a full season sale. So we have a service team that they're the dedicated service reps responsible for taking care of anyone that purchases a full season plan. But anybody who I sell a half season or a group or a suite, anything smaller than a full, I'm able to keep, I'm able to service them. I'm able to, to continue to be a, a, a resource for them. And then when we come to renewals, I have the first chance to get them to purchase something else for the next season. And that would go into, into my, you know, my commission plan. So it's really nice to have that to, be able to build a relationship with someone throughout the whole season and not have to pass them on like some teams do. So that's a really important question for people to ask when they're interviewing for a sales position is, is what do I get to keep and what do I have to pass on to someone else? Great advice. All right, Zach, you are in the NHL, Max, you are in the NFL. Who works more hours? (laughs) Uh, I think it depends on the time of year. Yeah, so we we both have game day responsibilities, as we talked about. If he has three home games, you know, I might not see him that week at all. He might be in the office the entire time. And then in my case, when we have games, I'm there. And then especially when I, when I experienced the playoffs this past year, there's a lot of extra work that goes into that. And you have such a short amount of time to gear up. So leading up to the playoffs and the Super Bowl, those were some of the longest weeks I've ever worked and super rewarding, but I think I had him beat on, uh, you know, mid-January as far as hours worked. 
So that's a great experience. Your first year working in pro sports, you're working with the Niners who had a great trip to Super Bowl. Tell us about that. You said even working the playoffs, it wasn't only going to the Super Bowl, it was working all the playoff games as well. How was that experience? Yeah, seeing all of that from the ticketing standpoint was really eye-opening and you have to gear up for games and you know when you're gearing up for regular season games you have months and months to prepare and make sure everything's lined up and that is not the case when you you know you win on a sunday and you're playing next sunday like we did this year in the playoffs so it's really all hands on deck and my role shifts even more to ticket ops in that case there is still definitely financial reporting that needs to get done and we track revenue and unpaid accounts and things like that but I am way more involved in the ticket operations standpoint. And when you talk about the Super Bowl, in that case, I said that at the NFL is mobile ticketing. The Super Bowl is an exception and that they provide physical tickets for. So we had a ticket allotment and I had a, was playing a part in making sure that we double and triple checked the tickets that we were sending out. You do not want to screw up sending out a Super Bowl ticket. You know, those were part of what added into the the 55 hour weeks I was working, you know, during the playoffs and Super Bowl, but it's all super rewarding. And when you see, you know, the finished product get to go to the game, so worth it. So why do you think the Super Bowl is still using physical tickets? I think there's so many parties involved in attending. So each team gets an allotment. I don't know exactly how the NFL lost all the tickets, but I know it's not like the home team gets half and the away team gets half. It's much more complicated than that. So to get everybody on the same page with a, a digital system, I think would be much harder. So they say, you know, we're going to use physical tickets. It'll be easier to distribute. And I, I'm not positive that's what the NFL is thinking is. That's my theory. That's my opinion on it. There's also a commemorative value to it. Like those tickets that we had for the Super Bowl, they had a really cool graphic on the front. Obviously, it says Super Bowl has your seats there. For the Sharks, we have the option. We are also a digital ticketing team, but we have the option to have all of your tickets printed at the beginning of the season for those who either want to keep it for the memory or they're going to share it with people very, very often instead of having to transfer. So I think for the Super Bowl, that commemorative aspect of it too is something that they're, they're definitely thinking about when they keep it as a physical ticket. So Zach, you said when we were at the Super Bowl, our tickets. So the 49ers sent Max down and apparently you got a guest and you picked your brother. How cool is that, Zach? Yeah, that was definitely an all-time trip with Max, and we would always make the joke for the first couple months that we were both working, I would bring him to a good amount of Sharks games, and I got to go to the Cowboys preseason Niner game. But I'd always joke with him, hey, Max, when are you going to get me out to some other Niners games? Like, it's got to be a two-way street. I've been taking you to all of these Sharks games. And then, sure enough, middle of January hits, and he goes, if we go to the Super Bowl, I'm going to be able to take you with me. And, and so then, of course, all, you know, that, that swings the debt completely in the other direction. Got a chance. The Niners treated everyone, not just the employees and the players, but the guests, ex more, even better than they had to. You know, they, were, they had, were under no obligation to do that for everybody, but they wanted to make it a celebration. They wanted the employees to be able to do it with their friends and family. And Super Bowl 54 in Miami is going to be something that we talk about forever. That's just an amazing story. I first saw it on social media. So I was thrilled that Max got the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl because not all teams do that, right? Not all teams would fly out their employees to the championship game. But then I saw a picture of you, Zach, and it just, 
you know, it, it's everything I would expect that you guys just take the experience on together. So it was really cool seeing that. Yeah. Another joke I like to make was that I went somehow from not having a job to seven months later being flown for my job to the Super Bowl. And it was, I'm incredibly lucky to be able to do something like that. Yeah. It was, it was an all time experience. You must be doing something right, Max. <laughs> All right, Zach, how about the Sharks? When are they going to go to the Stanley Cup? 2016 was the closest they ever got. Losing, losing to the, the Penguins was a tough one. I don't know if you're a Penguins or Flyers fan out there yourself, Alicia, but, you know, they had a, they had a down year. We don't, we don't try to, cut, to cover that up at all. And so our, our GM, Doug Wilson, has definitely expressed injuries as well as just lack of performance were both a part of that and so the chance we're, we're looking at this as a silver lining that this this pause in our season getting the last 12 games canceled so our guys Tomas Hurdle and Evander and sorry Eric Carlson have both been healing up and so we think that this is going to give us a good chance to regroup and come back for a strong 21 2020-21 campaign next year. So this brings up an interesting thought okay Niners tickets made it to the Super Bowl you know, they're probably going pretty quick. How, what's your strategy selling a team that might not be winning, might not be making the playoffs as often as you would hope? That's a great question. And the thing about it is no matter how successful your team is, fans are always going to find a way to, to want more. And that's, that's how they should be, right? They want the best out of their team all the time. So whether you're a team that doesn't make the playoffs, you know, hardly ever, or you're a team that loses in the conference finals every year, you're going to have to overcome that objection. So what we do in order, you know, the way that we frame it, which I completely agree with, is you're selling an experience, right? Every time you go to a sports game, it's the anticipation of not knowing what might happen. You're watching professional athletes who are the best in the world at what they do perform, no matter whether it's a win or a loss for your team. So we try to, to really, really paint that picture for people and to, to stress the fact that it's not about necessarily – how many wins are in the win column. It's more about who are you going to the games with? How are you enjoying that time and, and getting a chance to see some, some com competitive sports? So we're talking hockey. We're talking football. Your favorite sports, I believe, is the same one, basketball, right? Correct. Okay, so how is that working maybe outside of the sport that you grew up loving? I think that it – honestly might be even better that I started outside of the NBA. So I had a chance to, to intern with the NBA league office. I think we'll go a little bit deeper into this in, in a few minutes, but getting a chance to work for your, your dream league that, you know, the league that you followed up that you followed growing up is a great opportunity, but starting in hockey, something that I knew nothing about really gave me the chance to be fearless and go into it without any expectations. So when I started off, I said, I don't know anything about hockey. I had literally never been to a professional hockey game when I took the job with the Sharks. My first regular season game was October 4th against the Knights, our home opener, and I started two months before that. So the, you know, being completely fresh to it, it, it gave me a chance to kind of hit the reset button and just say, I'm going to tackle this with you know, all of the passion and energy that I have and see where it goes. And, and people really noticed that coming out of the gate. So I think that starting off with something new is, is never a bad thing at all. And actually now I've got a sport that I didn't have before that I'm, that I follow that I'm passionate about. I've learned so much about hockey since I started. So it's been, it's been definitely, I think a great choice. And I, not that I won't want to move back to basketball at some point, but you kind of put a lot of pressure on yourself when you go into your favorite sport right away. You know, for some people I've heard that it, it can take the love out of it for them when it becomes a, a you know, 
a day in day out job instead of the sport that you grew up playing. So it's good to, to definitely branch out. That's really good. And I see you on social media. You are always holding those ticket belts, those awards. You're winning all sorts of things. So not knowing much about the sport, like you said, may have helped you because you had to dive in and you weren't jaded by pre-thoughts of what should be happening. So very cool. What are some of those awards that are handed out in your ticket office? Yeah, so we have three main monthly awards that we do. The first one being the revenue belt. So just who sold in total the most revenue for that month. So it doesn't matter how you get there. It could be with a hundred small packages or two huge sales, but who has that highest number? We have a whiteboard in our office where we track that. The second one is the the hustle hard belt or the hustle hard hat. So this is going to be, we have a, a calculation of calls made, appointments set, appointments completed and referrals. So that shows, right? Maybe, maybe you didn't close as many sales as someone else this month. Maybe you didn't quite have the luck when you're sitting down at the table, but you did all the right things. This shows who's putting in the work every day for that month, who's, who's really putting in the extra hours, making those calls, and is still seeing success talking on the phone. And then the final one being we have a, a teammate of the month award. So we definitely value being a good teammate at the Sharks. And so that's a, a group voted one that we have um, where we select one of our peers as uh, someone who's been supporting others, someone who's been reaching out without being asked and, and doing their part as a great teammate. So I've been fortunate enough to have the, I believe I had the revenue belt three times in my first seven months there and the hustle hard hat four of those seven months. So just like I said, getting into something new and, and really going for it. Very good. Congratulations. All right. Let's talk about one thing. We're going to bring it back here. We're going to move backwards actually in time. I'm going to go toward, let's talk about being twin brothers and making the decision to go to separate colleges. What went into that decision? As I'm sure, seeing how close you guys are, it was a hard decision to make. Yeah, I think we both really tried to choose independently of the other one and make the decision that was going to be best for us. And while we were applying, there were schools that we both applied to. And then obviously we ended up at separate colleges. And I think we both took the mentality of, hey, if we end up in the same place, awesome. We'll probably room together. We'll spend a lot of time together. If you end up at a, a spot that's different from mine and that's the right choice for you. You need to make that decision. I support it all the way and can't wait to visit. How far away were your schools you chose? About a five hour drive. Not, not impossible to go visit each other. And, you know, a couple of times a quarter, we would, we would make sure we, we got up or down to each other's schools. Okay. So here's a fun one. I'm going to give you guys both 20 seconds to tell me why you made the better college choice. Zach, I'm going to put you on the clock first. I don't even need 20 seconds, Alicia. I paid uh, about half as much money to, to live on the beach. That's, that's about all that, that has to be uh, said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I like that one, Zach, for sure. Max, the rebuttal? All right. Well, we don't have a beach front as Santa Barbara does, but if you want to talk about professional sports opportunities – Santa Clara is so prime. You're within driving or short public transit from the San Francisco Giants, the A's, the Niners, the Raiders, the Warriors. So from what I knew I wanted to get into, you know, I think I put myself in a great position. Okay, both really good choices. Are there grad programs there for those that may be listening and like, hey, I want to get out to the West Coast and either go to the beach or have access to these big teams? Yeah, Santa Clara, I was in the business school and our, our upper grad business program is, is very well reputed. Highly recommend it. 
We do have a graduate school. It's, it's more based towards uh, STEM majors, I would say. There isn't a sport management master's degree, but, but we're definitely working on it. From my certificate, that's a small thing that's been growing quickly, so hopefully soon. So both of your majors in college were not sport management. Zach, you were economics. Max, you were finance. Zach, you did have the sport management certificate. We'll talk about that in a second. But you guys instead chose the business route for your main degree and focused on sport with your experiences, which is another way to do it. I guess, why did you choose that route? Why did you go for economics, Zach? Why did you go for finance, Max? So economics was actually the closest thing to a business degree that UC Santa Barbara has. They don't currently have a school of business. So that was the closest thing that, that I could get to, to being in business, which was where I knew I wanted to go. They didn't have a sport management major, but I felt that that was the right school for me to be at. And so I would encourage people when choosing something like that to really decide on the environment that you're in and weigh that as a heavier piece of the pie versus the major that you're going to choose. Because when you come out of your undergrad, what employers really want to see is were you disciplined? Did you have a solid GPA and, and were you able to, to complete the entire program, right? They want to see some form of commitment. What you major in isn't necessarily as important. Now, the reason that I wanted to do the sports certificate was because A, it was a great chance to try to find a mentor. So you're going to be connected with all the people in your environment that are connected to sports as well. And then B, it was definitely some of the most useful classes in terms of thinking in sports business terms. So it was nice to have on the side. But I actually had an interview with Madison Square Garden uh, last May before I took the job with the Sharks and I talked to their group's director. His name's SJ Tucker. And he actually complimented the fact that I had the econ degree on top of the sport management, basically a minor. And he had the opposite. He did the sport management major. And he said, you know what? I look at people who have done the business major route with the sport management minor. And I actually think that that sets you up better in the long run if you can, if you can work it that way. Not that there's anything wrong with getting a sport management major. That's if you know that's what you want to do. But he, he was complimenting the diversity. And I think that a lot of people see it that way. For sure. I, I agree. I'm a sport management grad myself. And sometimes I think that it was, it was too broad, right? It didn't dive into business. You, you got a little bit of everything, but a lot of sport management students graduate and it's like, okay, well, where do I go? There's so many different routes, collegiate sports, pro sports, you know, Olympic sports, YMCA's, rec leagues. So yeah, I loved my time as a sport management student, but exactly. There are different ways that you could do it. And it's very interesting. Now tell me about that certificate. What is that? A minor? What, what does the certificate mean? Yeah. So our sport management certificate fell just below a minor. And that was strictly based on what the school was approving at the time. So we had a professor, Mark Orlando, who was the guy who was really the whole driving force behind this, this program. And he has been and is continuing to work to get it promoted to a minor. At the time that I took it, what it looked like was about five classes. There were three prereqs. And then you had five. So the five classes were everything from sports admin, sports health science, and then one where we actually did a simulation where we were the GM or you were the HR manager or the finance manager of an actual organization. So we set up a fake NBA team in Baltimore. We did a draft. I had Zach Levine on my team, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And we actually ran through an entire simulation, making business decisions in terms of salary cap, in terms of where to put the arena, everything like that. So that was something that you don't get if you don't take some sort of a sport management 
aimed course. So I really, really liked it. It didn't take up my entire undergrad, but it was really fun to have on the side. I like that a lot. It, it is really fun. I'm going to admit talking about sports in every class, it was kind of really interesting, right? Like, I don't know if I was, would be talking about printers or Kleenex or something, if it would have really got my attention like it did talking about sports. So Max, you're a finance major. Did you, when you were taking, when you were selecting that major, did you think you would be where you are right now? Honestly, yes, this was the goal. And I actually wrote my, one of my college entrance essays on why I thought attending Santa Clara put me in the best position to get a job in the sports industry and end up being able to give something back that I'm really passionate and about and that I love that sports, giving that back to other people. So that, that was the goal. And I definitely had some deviations along the way, but ultimately got to that spot, um, which I'm very grateful for. But I, I picked finance similar to Zach. Santa Clara didn't offer a sports management program. And I felt like it was the, the right location for me. I liked the teaching style, but they just didn't have those sports-oriented programs. And I looked at it from the perspective of, you know, all sports teams are going to need capital to operate, right? They're, they're going to need money to, to make things happen. So even as an 18-year-old, not really understanding all the different business departments that make up the business side of a sports organization, I knew if I had skills in finance, I'd be able to help a sports team. For sure. You said it perfectly there. Every business is in business to make money and they need people like yourself to handle that money, which is one of the most important roles there can be. And really in the sport management sector, right? I hear a lot of, I want to get into marketing. I want to get into event planning. Not often do you hear, I want to get into finance, which is a good thing because that opens up more opportunity for people like yourself that really want to get in there. Definitely. Okay. So we're talking about your colleges. What type of experience were you guys getting while in college? Yeah, I'll take it. So from the summer after my freshman year, right, I knew that having that econ degree wasn't going to be what got me my job in sports. It was going to be my experience outside of the classroom. And then the degree would be what allowed me to, to interview for those jobs. So I started off by working for a collegiate. It was a wood bat league in Healdsburg, California. The team name, you'll never forget, it was called the Healdsburg Prune Packers. That goes back to the history of the town. And it was basically five people that were running this entire operation. And so I was in turn of literally everything from raking the field before games to running social media to trying to flag down some corporate sponsorships in the little Healdsburg Square that they have up there. So that was a, a really grassroots type of experience. And then I was able to step that up. After Living Sport, I, was, I went straight into interviewing for a summer job with the NBA League office that I mentioned a little bit before. So I was in their global events department working on mainly the Junior NBA World Championship, which was actually held at the ESPN Wide World of Sports, where the NBA season is set to resume. So that was the campus that we were working off of. And that was really the big college experience that I felt like shot me into, okay, I can, I can uh, actually get a job in sports now. I'm, I'm qualified to get that, you know, that first roll out of college. So it was, it was about stepping stones. It started with something really, really small that would bat league back at home. And then I was also interning with our sports department at UC Santa Barbara the whole time in our development office. So that's where we get our funding from. And I was basically just trying to help out with anything that I could there, working at soccer games and hospitality, you know, sending out emails to people, writing thank you letters, 
really, really small stuff that, that added up along the way. And then that led up to the NBA, which, which led up to me getting my, you know, full-time job after. Max, do you have anything about school? Yeah. So I, like Zach, got involved with my school's athletic department and they had a pretty large intern staff um, of marketing interns and event operations interns and did that for about a year, but realized it wasn't necessarily the experience in the areas that I wanted to be working in long term. So I got involved with my school's club sports programs and that was the best decision I could have made because even though you know, my initial thoughts on it were, you know, this is, feels like a step down. You're going from division one to club sports. They gave me so much more responsibility and let me get my hands in, you know, a lot more valuable ex experiences than I did with the athletic department. And as the finance coordinator for the club sports programs, um, they let me handle the budgets for 19 club sports teams that ran over a million dollars. I was processing all the expenses and the revenues for those teams. And I think it's those experiences that really got me the position I'm in now with the 49ers. So it's funny because a lot of people want to work in pro sports. That is the goal. That was my goal, taking sport management as a major. I wanted to work in pro sports. But I have a lot of contacts in the industry that would agree. It's working in minor league sports or on campus. It's those positions that you need to grow as a professional that help you get to the pro level. And you guys are examples of that. All right, let's switch gears. Let's go to Living Sport. You guys both traveled to Milan, Italy, but on two separate programs. Zach, you found us first in 2017. It's said that a referral is the best compliment for a business. Would you agree there, Zach? Referrals are everything. Yes. So referring, though, to your family member is the most sincere version of a compliment right there. So what was it about the program that you liked so much that you recommended it to your brother, Max? Yeah, I was lucky enough to be a part of that first living sports trip. So, you know, the inaugural one to Milan. And what struck me about it, A, at the time I was having a really hard internal battle deciding should I study abroad or not. I really, really wanted to. I wasn't able to fund it myself. And my parents had a hard time in justifying, you know, spending as much as it was going to cost to send me somewhere to still just go to school for, for six months. And so when I saw this opportunity, I said, hey, look at that. It accomplishes my goal to travel. Not only does it do that, but it sets me apart from the others in my industry that are looking to get into the sports career. So when I framed it that way, showed it to my parents who were helping me make the decision, it was a no-brainer. The other part of that was that it's completely unique, right? When I saw that we're going to travel to another country, we're going to get work experience, we're going to tour the sports venues that are in that country, I know when I talk about that in an interview, no other candidate is going to say that, especially because it was so young when I got into it. So for all of those reasons, it was, it was easy for me to, to recommend that to Max the next year. Now, have you used that in interviews afterwards? Have you brought up the living sport experience? 100% and it, it immediately impacted me like I said that trip was in was in October of 2017 and it was soon after that I was interviewing for my job with the NBA league office and it was in the final round of interviews when I was talking to who was going to be my manager her name's Colleen Mullen and she said I see that you've taken risks you've done things that set yourself apart from people and really taken it upon yourself to go out and do things and I know without saying it directly she was talking about living sport 
It's always fabulous to hear those because that is the reason why there's many reasons why this program was developed, but really to help people succeed, to help people be different in an industry that is really oversaturated with people that love sports and wants to work in it. You just have to be different. And I'm so glad that it's working for not only you, Zach, but all of the living sport alumni out there that do bring it up in interviews and showcase what they have done differently than everybody else. What I do love about each and every trip is that programs are set up similar. You guys both went to Milan two different years, but for instance, in both Milan programs, you got to see AC Milan, a game, a football club over there in Milan. But Zach, you got to see the Milano Derby. Can you explain what it was like to be at San Siro at a sold out match between two city rivals? Yeah, so we spoke earlier about being at the Super Bowl, right? I've also had a chance to be at an NBA Finals game and this atmosphere in San Siro for the Derby still tops both of those environments just in terms of how crazy the fans were being there for the battle for the city 80,000 person stadium and two two organizations that have so much history behind them that's kind of what we miss in, in some of the u.s sports is that there's not as much history behind the clubs so getting to go to italy in the middle of this amazing trip and then to see this game which at least i'm sure you remember this but this wasn't just like a regular soccer you know 10 win for for Inter Milan this was 2-2 going into the 90th minute penalty and Dicardi hits the the game-winning goal on a penalty kick in the 90th minute to for a 3-2 win and a hat trick like it was you couldn't have written a better script so we um, I remember when when we looked at it you know when we were considering doing the the game and I saw the price of the ticket and I thought it's a little steep like I get it's a, it's a competitive game but like you know this we're already spending some money here do I want to do this and and then looking back on it, like you couldn't have put a price on that ticket. It's something definitely will go down as a memory I'll remember forever. One of the best sports memories I have. And that is really what living sport is about is going out and experiencing those. Now, Max, you got to go to an AC Milan game too. Who were they playing during your game? I believe it was Palma. So it was not quite as, as hyped up as the Derby, but still an incredible experience to see. I had never seen a live soccer match. And even though it wasn't the Derby, those fans were still extremely passionate and the flag waving and all the noises that you hear going on in a soccer game, very different than an NBA or an NFL game and the sporting events I've attended in the States. So very unique experience. Max, you were rooting for AC Milan, of course, the home team. Zach, you went Inter Milan on that Derby game. Yeah, that, and that was really kind of just picking on a whim. When we got to the city, I decided you got to have a side to root for when we go. I went with, with uh, Inter. It, it, it's actually pretty funny, Max and I, going back to our childhood. We grew up, our, our parents would dress us in, in me in blue and him in red so that people could tell us apart. And so that's actually, I think, subconsciously affected our decision-making since. If you just kind of look at it, like you see Santa Barbara blue, Santa Clara red, Sharks teal, Niners red. It's funny how it's, it's held true in our lives going forward. And I'm sure that that had something to do with it. Just siding with, with the, the Inter Milan on the blue side, I think it's just a subconscious thing. And then picking Icardi as my guy. He was the striker for the team at the time. And then he goes for the hat trick in the game winner. So it turned out to be a good choice. And I was shouting Forza Inter the, on the train ride the whole way home. 
That's a great story. If you guys are together and you guys both have jerseys, I want a picture. You in the Inter jersey, Zach and Max, you in the AC Milan jersey. Yeah, we can get that. We can get that going. I still have my AC jersey. Fabulous. So when we were there, you guys both were an international cycling event, the Red Hook Criterium. What did you guys learn and how did you grow from working an event based around a sport you didn't know much about? Now, Zach, you hit on this earlier in, in the podcast as well. Yeah, so I think that cycling, I literally knew nothing about it going in. It's similar to hockey. And one of the things that struck me the most was I had no understanding of how big the following was. Like when we rode up to the site two days before the race to start setting up, and I'm looking at we're on the fringe of Milan on, on the side of a small college campus. And I'm like, you're telling me that we're going to put on an international, the last stage of an international cycling event here with 10,000 people. And, and I was like, this is, this is crazy. And then two days later, sure enough, it happens. And 10,000 people showed up to, to watch with the culmination of the Red, the Red Hook Crit. And so for me, it opened my eyes to, hey, just because you follow basketball and football doesn't mean that there aren't so many other sports out there that people are passionate about that you don't know about. So you need to be open to, to learning about those kinds of experiences and learning from them because, you know, those guys at the Red Hook Crit, they, they built it from nothing. Like it, that was so inspirational to me when I heard that story that it started off as someone's birthday and they just wanted some space on the streets in Brooklyn to, to ride around on their bikes. And it turned into this crazy international event. So hearing their, their origin story not only made me want to work harder for them, but also, you know, it made me pay attention to what they were doing because they'd grown it so fast. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think having my eyes open to that following for a sport that isn't as popular in the United States was really key. And I also learned a little bit about the sport and, you know, how one of the, one aspect of that was how messy cycling crashes can get. And Alicia, I'm sure you remember this from the race I worked. I was, one of my duties was race control. And in one of the earliest heats of the day, just for some context, racers are gridded up. It's 32 racers all very close together to start. And one racer in the middle of the heat went down right as the race started and took out the rest of the pack behind him with them. So we had a huge pile up right at the starting line there. But the beginning of the heat kept racing and kept going around the track. And I'm standing there right next to race control, who's trying to talk through the mic and get people to, to flag down the other racers and say, hey, stop, you can't come around, you know, the corner into the starting line doing 35 miles an hour. You know, we have a huge pileup and the, the hectic scene of that, not something you have to deal with in basketball or football and sports that I follow here. So getting exposure to that, too, was really interesting. It is. I thought the same thing when I got into cycling. And for those that don't know, you have a moto leading the lead group. So not only were these bicycles coming and into a crowd of other cyclists that fell over, you have a moto too. So I think what happened is the moto wasn't getting the communication from race control that there's a, a crash, you know, technology. We deal with technology hiccups all the time. In this case, it had a major impact on the race itself. And um, yeah, could have been really bad than what it was, but who knew cycling was such a kind of a, a, a contact sport. <laughs> so you both now interviewed and were successfully hired by professional sports teams. Why do you think you stood out to get the position? Help other people maybe get in that mindset of what they have to do to get a shot. Yeah, I think it, my getting my position that I now have with the Niners was really all keyed on that past experience. And it's something I hear you, Alicia, hammer home all the time. 
and that's just get involved in every way you can. And so to, to have those jobs with multiple levels of sports on campus, along with I had some volunteering experience with leagues in my hometown of Santa Rosa before that, I think all that culminated to say, hey, you know, I'm passionate about sports and I have real work experience already that's going to be valuable to your team. And this is why you need to add me to your staff. My Sharks interview was slightly different. So it was actually in the form of what they call the sales combine. They brought about 30 people into the SAP center on a Saturday and ran us through a one day sales training. We actually hopped on the phones for about 30 minutes and then they did some round robin group interviews. So I was in a pack of people the entire time. And one thing that I really, really tried to do is how can you set yourself apart, right? We talked about it with the living sport program. It's how can you be different from the people that you're competing with? So my advice would be to don't necessarily just say what everyone else says or what you think the interviewer wants to hear. I was asking questions the whole time, trying to challenge them. What, you know, where do you guys see the ticket sales department going? What are some of your goals? Where are some of your shortcomings right now? Something that might be kind of uncomfortable for them to, to answer. But if you're willing to ask those questions, then that shows your curiosity and your willingness to learn. And I think that that goes a long way. One of the last questions that they asked us for the day was, on a scale of one to 10, you know, how badly do you want this job? and Why? And six people answered before me and all of them said, 10, I want to work for the Sharks. That's a you know, dream of mine is to be in sports. And I think that I'm a really good fit for the job. And when it got to me, I was, I, I took a way different route. I said, I'm, I'm like a seven or an eight, man. Like, first of all, I met all of you today. Like you seem like great people. I like what I heard from the leadership, but to be honest, that's not enough time for me to think, to realize if this is going to be a career fit, you know, but I did like what I saw. On the other hand, my goal is to get into sports, not necessarily sales, but I think I could be good at it. So there's a lot of uncertainty in me right now, and I'm excited to, to go along with it and see where it goes, but I'm not going to say that I'm a 10 out of 10 ready to do this, you know, like there's definitely, you got to think about it and weigh the options. So that definitely, when I said that, everyone else looked around and they're like, oh, like, okay, so maybe we don't all have to say 10. And so I think that setting yourself apart in, in ways like that and not just saying what you think they want to hear is, is what's going to you know, help you be yourself and, and ultimately get the right job for you. Fantastic story right there. Thank you for sharing that because you don't have to be like everybody else and you were real, you were polite, you said things that made sense. And that's really what the interview wants. They want to see the person that they're going to sit next to every day, Monday through Friday, some weekends, 40 plus hours. They don't want to hear or see anything from an interviewer that's kind of not true or something that they're not going to be when they're working those, those long hours. So very good. And you said people realize maybe they don't have to say the 10. Afterwards, did people start changing their numbers? Yeah, no one else said 10 after that. It was all nines or eights. Yeah. <laughs> those to you. Very good there. All right, we are in a historic time for sporting events right now. Zach, your season was cut short. Max, we're hoping your starts on time, and I really, really need some NFL right now. What's the buzz in the office right now? Well, first of all, there's no buzz in the office because we're still work from home, right? It's the buzz in the Zoom meeting. But our organization is taking the approach of just trying to stay prepped in the event that we do get to play all our games. And that's our sincere hope. And we really don't know what courses of action are going to be taking right now. So we're putting contingencies in place in case we have to play a few games without fans or in case games get canceled. 
And for our department, that looks like figuring out, you know, who, how do we issue refunds to all the people that have already bought tickets if we do have to play without fans? And how do we account for any loss of revenue and, and keeping track of that, you know, if we have to move forward with games and, and not be able to put fans in seats? But the, the buzz is that we really don't know what's going on. Nothing has been set in stone as far as what's going to be played and what's not. So we're just trying to remain ready for every scenario. The NHL had some some promising news, you know, a week or so ago in announcing their 2014 playoff format. So that was a great step in the right direction. The fact that we're going to be able to have some sort of conclusion to the 2020 season. And it also bodes well for the idea of being able to start up a full regular season in the fall. Now, if anyone tells you that they know what's going to happen, they're lying because no one knows what it's going to look like in a couple months. But the buzz in the office right now is, is exactly what Max said in terms of contingency plans. So right now we're prepping for what does it look like if we can play a full 82-game season with fans? What does it look like if we can only play half? What if we're only at a fifth of the capacity? You know, How do we decide who gets into the arena and who doesn't? What if we have to sanitize the arena at every intermission? You know, There's going to be new regulations that come out of this. So our, uh, our team president, Jonathan Becker, did a great interview with ESPN a few weeks ago where he talked about how he's been game planning for what it might look like. And He's taking a cautious approach to it and, and really reaching out to experts from the sports industry and outside of the sports industry, trying to paint a picture of what this might look like when we come out of it, because we don't really know right now. I know one thing's for sure. The world is ready for sports. We need something. NASCAR was great, but you know I'm ready for some NFL, some NHL, some NBA for sure. Okay, wrapping up here, I do have some questions from the alumni. My last two questions for you guys are this. What about your position do you love the most? Man, that is tough because there are a lot of things I love about my job. But if I had to pick one, it would be on game day, we wrap up admission at halftime. So at the start of the third quarter, I'm able to go into the arena and watch the game. And it's, it's not watching the game that really gets me feeling the most. It's walking on the concourse and seeing the fans and, and hearing the buzz in the stadium. And I'm, I'm getting pumped up thinking about it right now. It's, it, I just get such a wave of uh, adrenaline and, and gratification to look and hear at the finished product of what my work's going towards. It's, it's awesome. And it's, it's why I do what I do. Yeah, mine is, is 100% the connections that I'm able to build while I'm doing my job. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm calling during the day, sometimes you hit, you hit routes where no one's picking up or, or people pick up and they're not interested in talking to you. But for me, all it takes is getting to that one person that says, I followed the Sharks since I was a kid. It's like a huge thing for my family. We love coming out to games and, and eventually setting them up with something that is a good fit for them for the next season. And just hearing how excited they are. And, and, and a lot of people will thank you at the end of it and say, Hey, like you you're helping me connect with my kids. You're helping me, you know, help my business succeed by bringing clients out here. And so building those relationships with people, making those connections with people that I wouldn't have otherwise met that are so passionate about the team. That's, that's easily what, what makes it all worth it at the end of the day. We are so fortunate, right? To work in an industry we love and to be awarded with those experiences like you guys just mentioned. It's a great industry. We love it. And to be able to just it to be a part of our everyday, we're super fortunate. 
I have some questions from alumni of the Living Sport Program. I put it out there that you guys were going to be on the podcast, and I have some questions from people. Two people are in the ticket world. So first question, Trey Pickell from Athens 19 asks, what do you think the sport industry will look like when your respective season starts? Yeah, so from the, from the hockey side of things, I would say that – and again, like I said, none of this is a guarantee. I'm going off of everything that I've heard, but no one knows. So definitely don't take it for 100%. But my hope would be in a, in a strong case scenario, right? We play this 2014 format and finish up by mid-September or late September. And that's going to push our regular season back. So the NBA has talked about restarting in, in December and maybe using that you know, Christmas Day start as, a, as actually a, a reset going forward. That's something that they've talked about in the past. I don't know if the NHL is looking to make a complete change in the start of their season, but for restarting this next year under the circumstances, I could see us picking up in November or December. Maybe at first that looks like I said before a fifth capacity, right? Maybe we have 3000 fans in the building to start off with, and then we up it every month. And, and eventually, you know, best case scenarios is we able, we're able to find some sort of a vaccine or something that can help us combat COVID-19 that it's not as big of a risk. And then we have, buildings opened up in full capacity partway through the season. So that's, that's somewhat of a optimistic look on it. They, they could go better. It could go worse, but, but that's, that's my hope, right? Is that we're able to at least see a full season and, and get some fans in there at some point. All right, Zach, we have a question from Jessica Martin, London 19 alumni who is also in ticket sales. She asks, are you actively selling right now? So the Sharks, yes, we have been reaching, we've been outbound to new prospects since about mid-April, I would say. And so when we first started off in the whole shelter-in-place situation in Santa Clara County, we really reined it back in. It was mostly playing defense, just answering calls from people who were wondering what was going on, talking to our current plan holders and telling them everything that we knew, which wasn't much at the time. When we got to April, we started to reach out to people who we hadn't spoken with before. But the picture is very different. So whereas before we were calling, talking about sports, talking about getting them in for an appointment, now it's very, very much personal. So we're calling in just saying, hey, I wanted to call now that I've you know, adjusted to this whole work from home situation. We're reaching out to all of our fans who have been to games in the past. And I want to know how have you been during this time? It's really about, you know, connecting with them as a person and recognizing the situation that we're in. You don't, you know, you definitely don't want to just push it straight to a, to a sales conversation. That's not appropriate for right now. So that said, now that we've been in this situation for a few months, we're starting to see some people make sales. So I think in the past two weeks, we've had two or three people that have been able to get people committed for a full season plan for next year people want sports back they're getting excited about the prospect of it with these announcements about playoffs and so yes we are we are full we're not full steam ahead i make about a quarter a fourth of the calls that i would if i was in the office each day um, it's a lot lighter but we are actively selling which is not the approach that every team is taking we've done networking calls with a number of different teams i want to say at least 10 or 12 by now a couple from the mlb a couple nba teams and speaking with their inside sales staffs uh, a lot of teams are, are taking the, the hands-off approach of saying we don't want to we don't want to take the risk of coming off as uh, you know unemotional as as inconsiderate and in, in asking people to purchase tickets at this time, which I understand. So I think there's a way to do it, but I'm I'm glad that the Sharks are are going for it right now. 
Great. Yeah, I don't, I don't have as much insight on the sales side of the Niners, but I know we are still actively selling because I see those sales come through and be processed and seats being added. So, you know, we feel like our community reached a point where we are offering sales of, of tickets to those who are still interested. Okay, last alumni question here from Dylan Hammond, London 18 alum, and then the junior mentor on Milan 18. He's, he asked, given the seasons may be postponed and restrictions to fans and venues may be implemented, how are you and your teams approaching the sales process during this time? How are you continuing to engage your fan base? Zach, you touched upon a little bit of that. Is there anything else that you guys could add? Yeah, I know something that our department is involved in. It's, it's not the sales side, but it's still engagement is we've been trying to be very active with email communication to our fans, especially those that already have tickets. So we're part of making sure that the message that's getting sent out is very clear and accurate as far as telling fans what's going on with these seats they've already paid for and letting them know, you know, as of right now, the games are still scheduled. And if they do get canceled, you will be getting your money back because we've been getting plenty of questions about what is this all going to look like. So trying to make sure that all of our current ticket holders are well-informed is a, a top priority for us right now. Yeah, we're preparing as if there's going to be an 82 game season just because you, you have to be ready for it. And so until they tell us otherwise, right, we're going to be, we're going to be in a position to execute that. And then we'll, we'll handle everything that changes as it does. But we've taken this pause as a chance to connect with our, our current season ticket holders on a, a more personal level and really in, in on the media side. So having our, our service team, you know, send out personalized videos to all of their ticket holders. We've had players that have done special interviews with some of our TV broadcasters to, to keep some content out there, something new for people to watch. And so we've made it an opportunity to, to maybe get a little bit more personal than we, than we would have in the past in a regular season because people need something like that right now. I think creativity that came out of this time is remarkable. We had to find different ways than normal to do things and people are creative, whether it's technology they're using or the ability to have players record videos, like you said, from their home and then send that off. There's so much we can do and that's the way innovation, man, that's how it happens when you have a lull, when you have time to do this stuff. Because if we didn't have this time, we would have kept going as normal, right? It would have been same old, you know, little new things here and there. But this time gave everybody, not only in the sport industry, time to really think about what they're doing, start different things, start new things, and proceed forward. So in business, a lot of good ideas come out of downtimes like this. Living Sport is in Pennsylvania. We're headquartered out of Pennsylvania. We're more on the Philly side than the Pittsburgh side. So Philly, which is the city of brotherly love. So let's end this podcast with just that. I want you guys to do a business pitch for your brother. And what would you say about your brother to a prospective employer? I'll, I'll go first. So Max is an extremely hard worker who doesn't let his goals stop him. And what I mean by that is if you tell him to do something and he accomplishes it and has the ability to go further, he will. Last November, he actually ran a half marathon and set himself with a goal of running a 735 average mile time. And he crushed that with, I believe it was around a 710. So he does, whether it's in the office or in his personal goals, right? He's not going to let those limitations stop him just because you give him a goal. He's willing to crush it. And I think that his passion for business analytics 
as well as information systems is, is something that's going to be useful to your business and something that, that you're going to want in your company. And he's also the, the second best looking twin in his family. Oh, <laughs> you were doing so well. <laughs> I appreciate the pitch though. The sales skills really showed there. And my pitch for my brother would be that he's an extremely charismatic person. He is not afraid to talk to anybody or a group of any size. And he's extremely you know, quick on his feet. He already has such diverse experience in the sports industry at the age of 23. And he's only going up from here. And his one fatal flaw is that he doesn't have respect for his brother, which was made clear in that last joke. But <laughs> he is somebody that you need in your organization. You guys are the best. You are so fun. And I am very fortunate to have you guys a part of this living sport network. You guys are great young professionals. I said it earlier, all stars. Like that is seriously what I think about you guys and your careers in sports, or even if you go outside of the sport industry, you're going to be a success because everything about you guys is fantastic. I hope that, you know, you remain a key part of the living sport network for years to come. I appreciate you sitting down doing this podcast and passing along all your knowledge you gained to other people who could really utilize it in their career moving forward. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alicia, for having us. It's been a blast and really glad to be able to share what I've learned so far with the Living Sport community. Yeah, it's been an incredibly fun conversation, Alicia. And just to everyone that's listening as, as a final point, I'll just say that whenever sports does end up coming back and we don't know when that's going to be, but it's going to be a huge part of our society recovering, right? Whenever we have that first puck drop, that first tip off, that's going to be a special, special moment. So whether you're enjoying it as a fan or an employee, definitely look forward to it, embrace it. And I can't wait to, to share that moment with everyone. Fabulous guys, Max, Zach, thanks for being on the living sport podcast. That's a wrap. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed yet, please hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends. Our goal at Living Sport is to help all young professionals succeed in the sport industry, especially through the Living Sport International Sport Business Program. This program provides students with an opportunity to experience the world through sport. If you're interested to learn more, go to livingsport.com. Have a great day, guys.